Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead in career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, Yeah, you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, hey everybody, welcome back to Conversations with Jeff. We've kind of had a little bit of a hiatus as I've been working on my uh, political show, The Jeff Dornick Show, but I'm really excited that we're bringing back Conversations with Jeff right here on the Gatekeepers Podcast Network. Uh, it's always fun talking about what's going on in the church, theology, um, all that kind of stuff, so we're going to be having a lot of great guests uh, coming up on the show. So make sure you guys are subscribing on Rumble, on Apple Podcasts, or at gatekeepersonline.com. Those are the best places to find us, especially with all the crazy craziness going on with censorship and all that kind of stuff. So again, that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Rumble, and gatekeepersonline.com. Uh, without further ado, we're bringing on our guest for today. We've got Pastor Kerry Gordon, his first time on the show, but glad we can sit down and glad we can chat here for a bit. Glad to be with you. Good to get to talk with your audience. I always love getting to talk to people, especially about the Bible. Yes, yes, exactly. And you know, and you're you you are the the voice of, of enemies within the church, the documentary. Uh and it's 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 been really interesting, you know, watching that and then also watching the rollout of it and the aftermath and the response. It seems like you you guys are getting really good response from people. And the one thing I wanted to throw out there is it seems to me that when we're dealing with the issue of, you know, Marxism within the church, with social justice, with a lot of the this wokeness, it seems like it's a lot of the lay people that are seeing this and they've got their concerns about pastors, but for whatever reason, it seems like it's a lot of the pastors that are buying into this. What do you make of that kind of conundrum there? 
Well, I, I think there's several issues, but probably the most predominant issue is the, you know, the better angels of pastors that just want people to come to church. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to get people to come to church in our culture because we have so many shiny objects and so many, you know, dare I say, deified idols and like sports and uh, hobbies and entertainments. America is just rife with, we have too much food, you know, we have too much sex, we have too many things that are fun to look at, too many too many good shows, too many good movies. And it's very difficult to get people to come to church. And a lot of these pastors are just uh, out of their desperation. It's probably very, very sincere motives. They want people to come to church. And so they're willing to get into gimmicks, frankly. The Willow Creek uh, approach to ministry, the CEO style approach to ministry, uh, rather than, than asking ourselves the fundamental question, what about our worship service on Sunday morning? pleases God the very most and makes God the happiest uh, with what we're doing. What we're asking now is what about our Sunday morning services will please people the most and cause them to want to stay seated until the very end of the service. And that's a sad change because uh, frankly, if you, in my opinion, if, I mean, if you just know the most basic truths of the Bible, you know, you really can't run a church service that pleases the flesh of men and expect at all for God to enjoy what you just did. I mean, there, there, there's something about God that, you know, because of the sin nature, our flesh has to be put under. The Bible talks about we have to endure sound doctrine. Endurance is not like a pleasurable word. I mean, we need to, people in the last days, it says they will not endure sound doctrine. What that literally is saying is they want to hear teaching that pets their flesh and makes them feel good. And sola feels has replaced uh, sola scriptura in American culture. So I think this is a long-winded answer to your question. The reason why a lot of ministers are caving into the woke gospel garbage is because they want people to want them. And it's popular in American culture right now. Wokeism is very popular. It's in everything. You know, I just saw a clip last night of one of those Disney executives just openly, brazenly bragging, man, I am putting pro-gay stuff into every cartoon I possibly can, laughing out loud about it. So being woke is very trendy and ministers are striving to get people to come to church. And so maybe if they talk woke, people will want to come listen to them. I think that is a huge issue, and that's probably why a lot of ministers are falling into it. But I have this testimony. Last Sunday night, uh, just out of nowhere, a minister and his wife drove several hours to attend our evening service at our church, and I got to meet him after the service. They came up, introduced themselves, and they told me the story. They said, we don't know who did it or why, but a DVD of your movie, Enemies Within the Church, just showed up in our mailbox. And I looked at it for a couple of weeks. I thought, who sent that to me? Why did they do that? And he said, I finally watched it. And he said it impacted him so heavily, he had all the leadership of his church watch it. And then they just ended up playing it for their whole congregation on Sunday. And they drove several hours just to attend the service, simply to come up after the service and say, we just wanted to come and tell you thank you. And can we pray for you? Because you've stuck your neck out, uh, you're, you're a moving target now 
because you made this movie and this movie is going to help so many people. And we just wanted to say thank you. We appreciate it. And it meant the world to me that people would just come just to say thank you. So there are ministers out there that are really responding very well and favorably to the movie. Yeah, which which is which is really awesome. Which is really awesome to hear. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting too because you know, you're talking about there's 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 this kind of appeal for it seems like pastors and just Christians in general to be to be liked by the world and, and that that that's a very fascinating um, aspect of this because I know I know for me you know I I used to be a worship leader at a church out in Arizona. And sitting in meetings with with our pastors at the time, this is really where I began to wake up to a lot of the issues that we that we were dealing with. Was we're sitting in these meetings, and the pastors are more focused on on how do we appeal to the lost as opposed to how do we equip Christians. And so that would come down to, okay, Jeff, here's the kind of music you need to play. Here's the songs you need to pick. Uh, don't really care about whether people in the in the worship band are Christians or not because that's evangelism is bringing in non-Christians to play in the worship band. It's a very yeah. weird aspect uh, of church where we're gearing the church towards the lost as opposed to gearing it towards the saved. When you look at yes. Scripture – it's supposed to be for Christians, not non-Christians. That's exactly correct, Jeff. You're exactly right. The church institution exists for the training and the faith-building disciplines of Christians. It's a military enterprise. It's an ambassadorship or an embassy. And, and there's a real enemy. The devil is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Deception is his tool. And so every time the saints gather together, they're to be equipped and strengthened for an ongoing war with darkness and evil in society. They're to confront society. They're to challenge the, the power structures of society with the truth of the Bible. And uh, what's happened is they've turned that institution, which is really, I, I mean, I would describe a, a really strong church as a boot camp for Christian soldiers. They've turned that into an evangelistic enterprise and they, they've gotten very, very confused in their theology about how do you get people born again? I mean, fundamentally, uh, I wince when people say we need to appeal to the lost because really, if you, if you take the Bible for what it says, the preaching of the gospel in many ways will repel the lost. Because why? Well, because you deal with their sin first. You deal with the judgment and the wrath of God that's coming first. You have to confront and get them to realize they need a savior. The only way to get lost people to know they need a savior is to confront sin. And there's nothing appealing about that conversation. Nobody likes to be made to feel guilty, but that is precisely the medicine that God has prescribed as the great physician for the deadly habits of sin that will land every last one of us in hell if we don't repent. And so when you, as soon as you hear ministers say, we need to appeal to the lost. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they're antinomian. They don't understand the use of the Ten Commandments. They don't know what the law is for. Their, their theology is so messed up. And they start going down this dark path. Now, I just watched a clip last night of a minister standing in the pulpit using profanity. Why? He's trying to appeal to the lost. And they think, hey, that's cool. He drops dirty words when he preaches. I, I like how he's real. I want to go to, no. No, you're supposed to confront bad language. The Bible says that if you see a man that does not rein in his mouth, his religion is in vain. I mean, the Bible utterly condemns 
a lack of control of the mouth. And then you have ministers using profanity because they're trying to appeal to people who use profanity. This is not what you do. You know, the, the Bible recipe for a profane people is you confront their profanity and say, your mouths will land you in hell. You're a filthy mouth pagan. You need to repent for what you've done with your mouth. That's not what's happening with the church today. And look at the results. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If the paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online. Approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, as well, when, you, when you're talking about this this compromise that, that's going on, I, I see a lot of parallels because obviously I've got one foot in the political world, one foot in the church in the sense of my shows and what I focus on and spend my time. It seems like there's a lot of parallels between what we're seeing happen in the evangelical church and what we're seeing happen in the Republican Party, where to me, yes. I, I think what we to me, what we should be doing is we should be making a stark contrast between what we believe, whether it's politics, whether it's our faith, whether it's the gospel, whatever. We should have a stark contrast with the lost, with the left, with the Democrats. Instead, it seems like the evangelical church and the Republican Party are trying to, like you said, appeal to the, either yes. the Democrats or appeal to the lost. Instead of saying, look, we are polar opposites. you got to pick a side. Absolutely. You're exactly correct. I, I wrote a public article. I had it published in 15 newspapers a long time ago. And I don't know how old you are. I assume I'm probably a lot older than you. And, but it was uh, George W. Bush coined the phrase big tent republicanism. And I absolutely blasted that all over the state. I said, that is the exact opposite of what we need to be doing. That. We're not trying to amalgamate all the Democrats and say, hey, we think like you too. You can come over and be on our team so we can win. But what's the point of winning if you're just like the people you're trying to defeat? And uh, I made the exact opposite argument as George W. Bush. That's what you just made. Stark contrast. Here's right. Here's wrong. Uh, This is what is true. And this is what is a deception. This is conservative. This is socialism. Make it very, very clear. And then when they choose socialism, Beat that thing to pieces, criticize it, point out all of its flaws. Why? Well, you want people to come to the truth and not be deceived. But, you know, the Republican Party today, the most conservative book, I wish I had it right here, I'd show you. It's one of the older books in my library. It's the most conservative thing I have ever read on America, on Americanism. It was written by a law professor at the University of Notre Dame. It was published in 1948. It's been out of print, of course, for decades, and I grab every used copy I can find and I give it to special people because it's one of the most important reads for an American that you'll ever read. Here's the irony. That book is 500% more conservative than probably any elected Republican in office right now. And I'm talking, we've got some good people, not very many, but we've got a few really good Christian 
conservative people serving in Washington, D.C. They're, they're nowhere near as conservative as the man that wrote this book. Well, here's the thing. The man that wrote it was a registered Democrat. And at that time in 1948, probably one of the most influential Democrats in the United States. So what's happening is we've been moving to the left for 100 years. And uh, when you know, I mean, I can make this a lot, lot easier for people closer to my age. Um, most of the Democrats in uh, the middle 1990s, when Bill and Hillary Clinton were running for president, most of the Democrats then, they were more conservative than most Republicans now. So now we're talking just 30 years ago. Uh, everybody's moving to the left. And the problem is the hard left is really the standard because here's what Republicans do. They calibrate. Where is the left right now at this election season? Oh, they're way over there. Okay. So then they recalibrate their new standard, which moves just like the Democrats to be five steps to the right of the Democrats. So as long as the Democrats keep going further and further toward communism, then the Republicans recalibrate, recalibrate a new position further to the left than they've ever been. The only way to stop that is Christians come in and say, hey, there is a Bible. There are absolutes that we won't compromise. And I'm not a Democrat. I was criticizing Democrats 30 years ago and abhorred with their opinions for the same reason I don't like Republicans now. So I'm not going to join Republicans in lesser evilism schemes. I'm not going to. If I don't have good choices when I go vote, I don't vote for them. I vote for someone else or I use a write-in blank and I've told all the party leadership, you're not going to get my help unless you produce good people that are godly. Here's the fundamentals, Exodus 18, 21. I want somebody that's able to do the job. I want somebody that fears God. I want somebody who doesn't lie to me. And I want somebody who can't be perverted by bribes and dirty money and bought off and controlled. And those are the basics. Exodus 18, 21. Founding fathers said, if America stops following Exodus 18, 21, you're toast. And they were right. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and it seems like it seems like in the political world, for, for as much as I've been in that and kind of, you know, learning the ropes when it comes to politics, obviously, it's a very dirty game. It's, you know, it's it's a swamp out there in D.C. Yeah. But, it, but it seems like with a lot of the big, I would say the big megachurch type evangelical pastors as well, it's a very similar type of corruption that is, is going on, you know, and, and what's been interesting. Yeah. And what's been interesting to me is watching a lot of people that I grew up and I was and I was told and I was taught these are our conservative leaders, people like Al Mohler, people like John Piper, people like that, where they were always considered the standard bearers when it comes to conservatism within the evangelical world. And all of a sudden yes. now they're about as woke as you can possibly get. The question that I have for you is looking at the, these types of, of leaders have they always been woke like this or have is have they morphed over the years as well? Well, in some cases, I think they were secretly always compromised, but they were able to, to hide it because they're astute political actors within the evangelical world. And they know, boy, if I really let people know what I thought, they would they would never accept me. So they hide it. But I think, um, you know, generally speaking, the Bible talks about that we have to be wary of our enemy that Satan uh, prowls about looking who he can devour. And his only tool is deception, right? So deception is a very real thing. And we know we're warned over and over and over of people that, that once they were following the gospel hard and then they fell away and we're warned that there'll be a big falling away. Well, that means that people can be solid 
and conservative, if we use that term, they can be very biblical, they can be very orthodox and do well, sometimes for decades. And then the pressures of this life and uh, maybe some peer pressure, maybe some money involved, some enticements and slow deception. They start reading materials that start to mess with their mind and Satan gets in there. Let's face it, false doctrines tethered in the scripture to demons. What do demons do? They plant thoughts in your head. And I think some of these guys start losing the battle of deception with demonic influence, frankly. And they start believing lies. And I think they're very sincere, but they're they're believing satanic ideas. And then they slowly drift away from the truth. And then sadly, after you've built a massive following and a big audience, and you have a lot of influence, when you start teetering and go off the rails, you mislead God's sheep off the rails with you. Jesus referred to it as the blind leading the blind, and they both fall into the ditch. It is a scary thing to be a leader in, in this time, in this age, representing the Lord Jesus, representing the Bible, and to mislead God's people. It's a terrible, kind of a frightening uh, spectacle. And I think some of these men were hiding all along. I think they were corrupt all along. I think others, they really were pretty sharp. And they did a really great job for a long time. And then they just bought into a lie. And it was too much peer pressure and they couldn't take it. A lot of times when you hear someone speak something that's true and they speak it gracefully and they have a, a gift to communicate because, you know, God anointed them to be preachers and they have this true calling from God. You assume because you hear them speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that um, on a regular Tuesday afternoon, they're just as strong and authoritative as they were at that moment. And I think that their human frailties get them. And um, uh, unfortunately, the, the precious Holy Spirit and his anointing to preach is pretty practical. It comes upon you when you're preaching. And I think that a lot of these men, uh, we sort of, that's how we see them 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But they're humans. They can be deceived and they have flesh and they can be allured by things just like the rest of us. And I think that they just get they get pulled off track by the devil and he ruins them. Yeah. Well, and, 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 I, and I think specifically with that as well, what, what, what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot, of, a lot of these pastors and a lot of these churches beginning to adopt. It seems as if the blending together of Christianity with the platform of the, of the Democrat Party. And it's, it's whether you're talking Black Lives Matter, income inequality, open borders. Uh, I mean, you can just go down the entire list of, of anti-God, anti-biblical you know, ideologies that they're trying to blend together with the Bible and blend together with Scripture. And, it, and from, from that perspective, it's really interesting to me how the last couple of years, it really seems like these pastors are more aligned with the Democrat Party than, than yes. the, at least the stated platform. And again, I've got my own criticisms of the Republican Party. I've even, I've even got my own criticisms of, of President Trump, as I, as I know you, you do yeah. as well. But, but, do. It, yeah. but, but it seems as if these pastors are going so far to the left that they're more aligned with the atheistic platform of the Democrat Party than they are of the supposedly conservative platform of the Republican Party. What do you what do you make of that where it's so anti-biblical, but yet they're justifying it with Scripture? Well, I, a lot of them just lack fundamental orthodox underpinnings in their theology to begin with, so they're pretty malleable. And like, for example, if you, if you can just ever get people to think logically— that's difficult because like our culture is all about feelings. And frankly, 
our ministers are almost trained to work through. Uh, it's a legitimate issue. You got to work through the emotions of your audience to try to get them to the truth. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of ministers in, in, in by acknowledging our people are very led by feelings and they, they try to use the feelings to try to get some truth to them. They end up becoming led by their own feelings and like the premise, it's hard to get people to get down to the premise with deductive reasoning. If you accept socialism, like that's the thing now, you know, Jesus was a socialist. God can use the government to take care of the poor, blah, blah, blah. Well, God can use Satan, but should we align ourselves with Satan? I mean, <laughs> um, the premise is the Garden of Eden. That's where I like to go. So if, if the premise of socialism is correct, then the real problem in Eden was not sin. It was that God put them in an insufficient garden that was uh, externally creating pressures that pushed them into victim status. And it's really God's fault because their exterior um, surroundings that they were placed in were not appropriate. And it, 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 that imperfection caused them to sin. I mean, because that's, that's the premise of Marxism is our problem is on the outside. It's all of this, these systems around us. It's our exterior issues that are flawed and there are other people groups or other institutions that their imperfections are placing pressure on the individual person and causing disparities in income and, and problems. And so everything is the problems always on the outside with a biblical worldview doesn't teach that. So socialism is incompatible with the Bible because the biblical worldview teaches very clearly that the problem in all of us is inside us. It's the inner space of man where there's a sin problem we brought corruption to a perfect garden. That's what the Bible says. But if you're going to accept that Jesus is a socialist and God uses the government to take care of the poor, blah, 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 you have to come back and say, well, in the Garden of Eden then, it was not sin in Adam and Eve that corrupted the garden. It was the garden that corrupted Adam and Eve. Clearly, Marxism is absolutely quintessentially incompatible with any orthodox view of the scriptures. And um, but it's very difficult to get people to get down to premises and to look, well, here's the ramifications of what you're stating over here out of the book of Acts. If what that is saying is correct, then the Garden of Eden, how's that impacted? And uh, if you could get people to get logical and stop being emotive and everything is about how they feel, and while we need to care for the poor, isn't it sad to see pictures of these little children? I, I'm, yeah, it is. But our theology is not based on just emotions. It's based on facts. And facts don't care how you feel. And uh, that's missing. It's missing in our culture and, and it's missing in our pulpits. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and really when you're looking at that, as, as you're describing it, any time, if, you, if anybody is going to go in and, and redefine what sin is, all of a sudden, now you're preaching a false gospel, which which yeah. is heresy, and we should absolutely reject. It. And that's that's where yeah. this fight over socialism and Marxism in the church is so vitally important because it it has direct ramifications on people's eternal salvation. Because if they mm -hmm. buy into this warped view of sin, now right. they believe what they believe is the true gospel, but it's not. And we know that if you don't believe in the one true gospel, you're not saved. 
it this is this is very dangerous and very sinister when you get down to the very root root of it yeah it's eternally dangerous and what is sin it's transgression of the law and what is the greatest and simplest summary of the law the ten commandments and so you've got these absolutes they're totally inflexible they don't care how you feel this is how you define sin this is the problem and you have to repent of this jesus died of course so that when you repented, God would be willing to even listen. You know, if it hadn't have been for Jesus dying on the cross, your repentance would accomplish nothing. Uh, the only reason repentance matters is because Jesus died on the cross. So we're not saved by our works. It's not our obedience to the law that can get us to heaven because we've all sinned. But after we get saved, we want to obey. They, they're taking that all away because what they're saying is now, this is where the antinomianism comes from. They say, the only law in the New Testament church is love. So you need to do what is the most loving. Well, if you ask them, define sin, they'll say, well, sin is doing anything that's not loving. So what you've done, your standard is based on your emotions, and they describe sin basically as whatever crosses with their emotions. This is really scary stuff because you can literally believe you're born again, you're serving Jesus, and you end up being in that parable, I think it's in Luke 13, where Jesus talks about people. He says, many will seek God. They will seek to enter into the narrow gate, but the door will be slammed in front of them. And God will say, no, 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 you don't belong in heaven. They'll be thrown into hell. Many, that's a big word. And I think what you and I are describing, this is one of the tools of the devil to deceive people with a false gospel and a false sense of security and a false sense of salvation. And they're not even saved. They've never really repented for real sin because they don't define it correctly. And they don't know what walking in love is because they don't define that correctly either. And that's, that's not Christianity. That's like neo-gnosticism. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, obviously we talk about sin, they're redefining sin. They're talking about love. They're redefining love. And again, redefinition of words you believe the same words but you believe in different meanings again it, yeah. it's it's a false gospel i mean it seems like when it comes to love it the definite the, the running definition is is you have to be nice that that's the definition right. of love you you're not you're nice but if you and look at, yeah good who determines what is and isn't nice this is the, this is my thing the people deciding what is nice the bible says they have reprobate minds so you have to be appealing and you have to have wicked people who are in, in bondage to sin, whose minds, the Bible says, are reprobate. They don't know up from down. They have to decide you're nice. When they feel you're nice and you meet their definition, then you've accomplished something great for Jesus. This is what they're saying. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website 
at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark But, but but also think about this. Think about the ramifications of the, of this redefinition uh, of the word love. If, if you're redefining the word love as being nice, then what you're actually saying is that Jesus himself sinned. I don't think anybody can actually go look at Matthew chapter 23 and think that Jesus was being nice to the Pharisees when he called them liars, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, j- just basically a, a bunch of personal attacks against these guys basically in f- exposing them in front of everybody, I don't think anybody would read Matthew chapter 23 and think, Jesus right there, he was very nice. Or when he was overturning tables, <laughs> he was very yeah. nice right there. This is, this is the importance of having proper definitions, and this is where this Marxist overthrow in the church and redefining words is so dangerous, and people need to wake up to just how serious this actually is. Right. As soon as you adapt the gospel of nice, you have jettisoned the law. What Jesus was doing in in, uh, that chapter was he was taking them to the law. He was confronting their sin and giving them an opportunity, frankly, to repent. And it's very possible that, you know, probably most of them were hard hearted, but it's very possible that some of the people who heard that severe preaching that day were really pricked in their heart. And they went and they sought forgiveness from God. And that's what's missing from the church now. So, and you're exactly right. As soon as you adopt the idea that we need to be nice, in, in especially perceived as nice by people with reprobate minds, by the world, by the sinners, well, then you, you can never preach against sin because all the world says that's not nice. You can never confront anything. You can't have people come into your church and feel guilt because that's not nice. And so what actually ends up happening is the gospel of nice just about guarantees nobody's getting saved. Yeah. And again, that that's where that's where, you know, your documentary that that you guys came out with enemies within the church, I think, is so vitally important. And I think and I think a lot of people, they see this and they're like, oh, you guys are just fighting this political battle because really a lot a lot of a lot of people see this as politics. They see socialism as a political fight, not a theological one. And but when you start looking at the ramifications of these political ideologies adopted within the church, now you're seeing a false gospel. Now you're see now you're yeah. seeing people having a false sense of salvation. I mean that right. to that to me is one of the most is probably the worst and most disgusting things about this adoption of the leftist ideology within the church is you are giving people a false sense of salvation where they believe they are going to spend eternal life with Christ and instead they're going to hell because you misled them by redefining words and redefining theology like to me that is that is some of the the worst corruption that you can possibly have and and these people's consciences are not are not seared right and you know our motivation and our desire as Christians should be the same focus as Jesus. What, what, why did he go to the cross? 
that's the amazing thing with his parable. Uh, when he gave the parable of the narrow gate, it's it, it, the verse preceding the beginning of the parable. It says that he was headed to Jerusalem. Well, if you look at the timeline, Jesus knew he was on a mission to die. He was going to Jerusalem. This was the last preaching stint before he would be killed. And he knew he's going to be killed for, for the salvation of the souls of the whole world. Like his death means something. He is doing this to try to save all of humanity. But then they pose this question. Is it true, Lord, that very few will be saved? And Jesus' response, you think of the weight of this. He is on his way right right at that moment. I'm going to Jerusalem. This is my last preaching of my earthly ministry. These are the last sermons I'm going to give people. And I'm going to go lay my life down because I want to save the whole world. They say, well, is it true only a few get saved? And Jesus says, yes. So he knows I'm dying for the whole world, but very few are going to get saved. And But he still did it. And our... Our passion needs to be his passion, and and it is. I know with you and I, our passion is we want people to be saved. We want them to know the truth. We want them to know Jesus so that they can go to heaven with us. We're fighting for them, not against them. We're fighting really for uh, the plan of God. We want people to know the Lord, and unfortunately, we've got to battle with deception within our own ranks in order to make sure that, that that happens. We need to make sure that we don't let the church be just completely taken over by uh, a false gospel and, and confused, misleading preachers. It's not that we don't love these people. We actually hope that they repent. I want these preachers that are doing it wrong. I want them to get on their knees and say, God, forgive me. I got deceived. Boy, that'd be a celebration. I'd celebrate with them. I'd weep with them. I mean, I I, I want someone like Al Mohler to turn around. He used to write amazing stuff that I enjoyed reading. I really looked up to him and appreciated his ministry, but I don't anymore. He's completely corrupt to me. He's he's caved into the pressure in some form of cowardice. Uh, He's he's less of a man, and he needs to repent and and then be restored by God. And I think we would all cheer him if he did that. I would cheer him, wouldn't you? I'd be thrilled if he said, "I, I, I want to just say I'm sorry. I have really made some big mistakes. One of them... As I got up and I, uh, I kowtowed to, uh, you know, the idea of sexual orientation. I see the ramifications of that. They're using that now to to try to normalize sex with children. And obviously, that was a humanist term. I never should have agreed with it. I never should have used my influence that way. Please forgive me. I would celebrate that. I would be so proud of him for that. That's what we want. I want people to turn around. But if they won't. If they won't repent, if they won't turn around, I want people to never listen to them again. And don't send them any money and stop supporting them. Turn away from them. That's what you have to do. Not because we hate them, but because we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We have to. T- if there's an argument, let's take sides with the Lord against the people arguing with the Lord. Let's not take sides with the people that are against God. And that's what this comes down to. I love Jesus too much to say nothing when I see people misleading the body of Christ. I can't do that. Jesus wouldn't let him do it. Why should I? I'm here to represent him, right? I'm an emissary of the kingdom of God. I'm a minister. Uh, I'm supposed to represent the will of God to the people and do my very best to preach the Bible accurately. And I have to defend the gospel. 
I just preach it. I have to defend it. Yeah. So, so, so then, you know, when we're looking at the future, we're looking at, okay, so what, what do we do now? We understand the problem. We understand, we understand that there's a false gospel out there. They're mm-hmm. redefining terminology. There's pastors that are compromised. I get a lot of people that reach out to me and they're like, there's no good churches in my area. I can't find a pastor that preaches the gospel. I I'm struggling with, 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 with the same issue out here in communist California, where it's really hard yeah. to find good Bible teaching and in, in, in a good solid yeah. biblical church. But moving forward, do you, do you feel like we're we're approaching the point of no return? Do you are, are you optimistic that we could actually turn things around? What do you think is the path forward to actually fix this now that we understand what the problem is? Well, you can use some of the tools that are available, and uh, we're in a very visually driven society. So sometimes, I mean, and there's a lot of great books that have been written that really lay out the problem with wokeism. If you're in a church where your pastor is teetering into this stuff, you can respectfully approach him and ask, can I talk to you? I have concerns. And and don't talk down to him, uh, but talk in a way that he can receive it because, you, you know, ministers, we deal with this stuff all the time and, and we kind of know how it's going to go. And, and he won't listen to you if you're haughty. So you go in and you say, I have sincere concerns. I appreciate telling him the good things he's doing. I appreciate what you've done. Look at this ministry and all these people. I'm concerned that you might be getting sucker punched, that you're you're falling into something that I've read a lot about and I'm worried about. And I just want to submit this to you and just see how he responds. And I think people are visual learners now. Give them the movie. Let them watch the movie. Let the movie do the work for you and then see how he responds to the movie. If he doesn't respond well, pray for him. Intercede before he watches it, while he's watching it. Pray for him after he's watching it. But if he if he puts down a hard line and says, no, we disagree, I don't agree with this, and I'm going to do what I feel like we're supposed to do, then that is that is your cue. You need to leave. You need to get out of that church. And um, then the next issue is, well, we can't find a good church. And I believe me, I hear it all the time too. I've, almost every week, people contact our church and say, "We live in such and such an area. Can you tell us where to go to church? We can't find a good church. Do you have anybody you can recommend?" And it breaks my heart almost all the almost always. Sometimes I don't have to do this, but almost always I have to say, I'm sorry. There's no one I can recommend. It, it just breaks my heart. And so ultimately, and I know this is a, this is a foreign idea for most people, but I really I, I'm convicted. I think I could defend this with the Bible. If you live in an area where there is not a good church that is feeding you, um, attending church is not an optional thing for a Christian. We're commanded to go to church. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That You're not to do that. And, and I, I, I'm continually confronting people about this. If you cannot find a church after some period of reasonable time, then in order to be honorable to and ob- obedient to the scripture, you literally need to move. You need to find a good church that you feel is the right place and sell what you've got and follow Jesus. I mean, he said that to a rich guy. And we can still learn from that principle. Get a U-Haul, pack it with your stuff, sell your house, and move to a new town where there is a good church. Because it is not optional. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And let me tell you this. The good churches, the reason they're a good church in this culture, if they're a good church, it means that preacher was willing for sometimes many years to stand in his pulpit and make people leave his church. He was willing to toe the line of the Bible in a culture that hates it and therefore has people not coming to his church. 
he should be rewarded. He should be rewarded with people that live in an area where there is no good church. And they should move and replant themselves in his community and say, we appreciate what you're doing. We're coming because of what you preach. Instead of letting those pastors that are uh, towing the line feel like failures because they've been preaching the gospel accurately and honorably. And all the people that are neo-gnostics and don't want that are punishing them and leaving them. So there's a lot of people in the United States that ought to put their houses up for sale right now and go to the church that you know is going to preach well. Move to that town. Find a new job. I just talked about this last Sunday because someone did that in my church. And, you know, in America, it's perfectly normal. And it, I mean, everyone's like, oh, OK, well, I, I would do that. That makes sense. They say, I'm moving. We're leaving. And, and your friends that you've known for years are like, you are? Why? I got a new job. So I'm picking up. I'm selling everything I have. I'm moving to another town because I got a new job. Now, that's normal American living. But if you say to people, you know what? I'm selling everything I've got. I'm loading up the U-Haul and we are moving to a new city. And they say, why are you leaving? We're going to miss you. I found a good church. People will look at you like you've lost your mind. But I think that that's exactly backwards. I think Christians ought to be putting, finding a great church in front of business and in front of money. And I had it happen. A man moved his whole family, sold everything they had. They grew up in that town, been there their whole lives, moved to Sioux City. And when he told his family, we found a good church that preaches the gospel, they, they thought he'd lost his mind. They said, you're crazy. What are you doing that for? He's like, my children have to grow up learning the Bible. They have to grow up in a right place and there's nothing here and I'm tired of the fight. So I wish people would do that. There are good churches out there. They're just not famous. But if, if you pray and you believe and you ask God, Lord, would you show me a good church? Will you help me find a good church? He will answer your prayer. I mean, this is basic, right? God will answer your prayer. He'll tell you where to go. Then just obey him. When he shows you, I believe God answers prayer. We have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, if there's anything he was going to do, he would help us find a church. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. OK, so so if, if people want to if people want to watch the documentary Enemies Within the Church, they want to buy it, they want to help promote whatever it is. Where do they go for that and how, how do they go about that? Oh, great question. You can go to Enemies Within the Church dot com. You can stream the movie there if you want it. You can watch it right now on most all of the devices. They worked really hard to get that to work. There's like hundreds of devices, right? You can stream it now, or we've been shocked. We didn't think there'd be this many people that wanted an old-fashioned DVD now because everything's streaming, but we've shipped out over 40,000 DVDs. People still have DVD players. Who knew? And you can get a DVD and we'll send it to you. You could order 100 DVDs. We'll send you 100, and then you can do what someone did, they just started mailing those things out with no note or anything, mailing out DVDs to every church in the area. And it got a hold of a pastor and they watched it. It affected their church. They drove to say thank you. So you can spread the word by sending those DVDs to local churches in your area. Uh, if, if you watch the movie and it ministers to you and you think this is great, I want to get behind this. You can help us get it translated. We're, we're working right now. We're waiting on, um, a bid. We're trying to get the movie translated so that it can be put into North Korea and China and communist China. 
we want our movie to reach people all over the world. So we're working on adding like nine languages to the subtitles so that people all over the world can benefit from it. Help us do that. Um, I, d- I didn't get paid to do this movie. And I, I, I tell people that's not because I don't think it's appropriate to be paid for your work. We work for years on the film. It's just I, as a minister, the camera guys got paid and the producers are all paid and the director's paid. But I said, I don't want to be paid because I don't want people to accuse me of just doing a movie so I could get money. I want to get just diffuse that unfair, unkind and, and abusive approach to ministers that I've had to put up with my whole life. I just want to shut them up. Right. So don't give me anything. Uh, so I'm not making any money on these DVDs. Don't complain that it costs fourteen dollars. Don't be a cheapskate. Don't be a whiner. Don't be a socialist. Uh, people deserve to be paid. But I just want you to know I'm not getting rich. I'm not here to try to sell anything. I just want you to hear the gospel. And I want people to be uh, helped and not deceived. So enemieswithinthechurch.com, it's all there. And oh, after the movie, what do you do after the movie? Because the movie will really impact you. You'll be really mad. You'll cry, maybe. You'll be really upset, but we don't want you to feel hopeless. We have an after-the-movie plan. So you go back to the uh, to the website. There's resources there. There's all kinds of things. These are things you can do, things you can learn, ways you can approach local politics in your town. Local politics is where you can make the biggest impact the quickest. And we don't want people to just watch the movie and get upset. We have solutions. We're bringing solutions to the table. We have an after-the-movie plan on how you can make a positive impact in your community for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the sake of his kingdom. Yeah, and and that and that's so important. And for everybody that's watching, I will post uh, the link in the show notes. That way you just click it. You just go right over there. Um, but do you do you have do you have any final words that uh, of encouragement for people? Because because I I know a lot I know with a lot of these kinds of conversations, it's it's it can be a downer. It can be frustrating. People people can feel like hopeless because like like you said, like a lot of people they're they're in a place they can't find a good church. The only way that they could find one is to literally move to another city, another county, another state. Are 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 you optimistic moving forward? Are like what 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 what's your take? What's your final takeaway there? I am optimistic about God's true church because there is nothing in this world strong enough to stop it. You can't stop the gospel. You can't stop the Bible. You can't stop the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many empires have tried. They've risen and they've fallen. Now speak to the issue of America. America may fall. It is falling now. America may go away, but the gospel won't. America may be gone in 10 years. We don't know. May be gone in 25 years. Uh, America may be absolutely decimated, destroyed. It could be destroyed from the outside. It looks to me like it's being pretty thoroughly destroyed from the inside. But you won't stop the church. You won't stop Christianity. Christianity will never be stopped by this world, by its enterprises, by its schemes, by its governments, by its empires. You cannot stop. It is the rolling stone of, of God at the top of the mountain and the vision of the prophet rolling and crushing every empire as it comes across history. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He is the rock. He is the rolling stone in the mountain. He crushes empires. He subdues them. He's coming back. He's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. I'm going to be on his team when he gets here. 
And so I don't want America to be destroyed. I'm not optimistic for America. I'm optimistic for the power of the church and Jesus Christ. No matter how the majority acts, there's always a remnant. There's always a minority that are strong and they cannot be defeated. And I want to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of that. So don't ever lose your hope in what your hope should be in. Here's the other thing. It is possible for us to turn America around. It's impossible without God, but it is possible with him. And so I don't give up on America Regardless of how outnumbered I am, I want to be like Gideon. I'm just going to stand for what's right. I'm going to tell the Republicans what's right. I'm going to tell the Democrats what's right. I stay involved. I don't surrender. I don't just throw my hands up and say, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. It's worthless. No, I believe the gospel is powerful enough to even turn America around. If we will stay with it, if we will ask God to direct us and help us, if we'll be faithful, I do believe it is possible with God's providential aid that we could spare America from what's coming. So I'm not giving up on America, but no, outside of that, outside of doing it with Jesus and doing it God's way, Exodus 18, 21, there is no way to save America. We have to do it with God. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that like, like, like you keep saying, God has laid out the plan. He like this, here, here's the path forward and it's up to us to be obedient and follow and and be faithful from that, from that perspective. But, uh, everybody make sure you guys click on the link in the show notes. You guys can go over there, check out the documentary, Pastor Kerry. I appreciate your time. It it was fun picking your brain a little bit. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on sometime. I'd love to come back on. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to get to speak to you and to all of your audience. And God bless everybody. Thank you very much, everybody, as well. Again, that's Enemies Within the Church. Uh, Go over there, check out the documentary, watch it, get it shared around, help us to get the word out and all of that. Uh, Make sure that you guys are going to gatekeepersonline.com. We've got some great resources over there, including including the book Social Injustice, the book Church and State, and some other books over there as well. Uh, And we, we offer them to you guys so that way you guys can get equipped, understand what's going on and what you guys can do. Uh, so that's at gatekeepersonline.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. We shall catch you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark.